Welcome back to the Tell Me Podcast. I'm your host, Ilya. I can't believe it's the end of the year already. Uh, this episode will be the last one of 2022. What a year it's been for me and for the show. We had our one-year anniversary. It's been listened to in over 40 countries. Uh, as I said before in other posts, in the top 15% most shared podcast globally and top 20% most followed podcast. So thank you to all my listeners, subscribers, Um, and for all my amazing guests sharing your stories to the world. On this episode, I have a chat with Will Hairsign. Will spent over 20 years in the British Armed Forces, first in the Royal Marines, and then in the Royal Navy, ultimately finishing up as a Chief of Staff. After his time in service, Will transitioned to Civvy Street, where he is currently a Senior Manager at KPMG. We chat about life in the Navy, overseas deployments, anti-piracy, the transition out of the military, mental health, life in Civvy Street, and everything in between. I've absolutely enjoyed reading and interacting with Will's insightful content on LinkedIn and hope he continues to be a great example of what can be achieved after life in service. So thank you for your time, Will, uh, and your friendship. All right, everyone, have a Merry Christmas, Happy New Year's to you all, and see you for more in 2023. Cheers. Welcome back to the Tell Me Podcast, everyone. Um, on this episode, I have Will Hairsign. Um, we're just tuning in from the same island, but just a bit further south than me. Um, we've been trying to get our schedules right the last few months, and we finally made some some great time here. So, Will, welcome on the podcast, mate. Thanks very much, Ilya. And it's entirely my fault that it's taken this long to get My calendar's a nightmare. No, I could imagine. I could imagine. I know that sort of um, we'll, we'll get into it, but the consulting sort of uh, side of the house having a family, you know, working from home, all the logistics, uh, I can I can definitely uh, sympathize with you there. All right, well, um, so I know you've, you've tuned in for a, a couple of the episodes. Like I said, they're, they're quite long episodes. Um, so let's just get into it. So, Will, in as much sort of detail as possible, can you tell me about uh, your beginnings? Yeah, well, I grew up in Yorkshire, in East Yorkshire, in a little place called Beverly, um, and sort of fairly typical um, upbringing, really. My dad was a uh, he worked out on the rigs uh, in the North Sea. Mum's a teacher. Uh, went to a local primary school and then um, decided that, uh, well, I say I decided. My mum decided that uh, I should do singing for a bit. Uh, and I joined the Cathedral Choir in Lincoln for four years. So I went to prep school there, uh, which was mega, actually. And it sort of set off a lifelong love of music. Um, more of that later. Uh, and then I came back to Beverly after that and went to a um, school in Hull called Heimer's. Uh, and then just standard um, schooling through there. Uh, and then I sort of changed my uh, perspective because I did a lot of music while I was at school. Really, really lucky. Played for some amazing um, brass bands, orchestras, things like that. And uh, decided that I've sort of done everything music that I wanted to. And uh, took a bit of a pivot and decided I want to be a Royal Marine. Um, as you do. <laughs> I started uh, started uh, doing a bit of training and um, went for my potential officers course in 95. 
um, and passed passed that. Went to the Admiralty Board, passed that, and then got a university scholarship. Went to uh, university at Leicester, which tied in nicely with my love for the Leicester Tigers rugby team. Um, had a magnificent time for three years doing uh, politics. Did a proper time at university. Came out with a two-two. You know, um, enjoyed the social side of university as well as the learning. Uh, and then joined the Royal Marines in 2000. So, um, sort of not nothing spectacular to be honest. And it's sort of the same with the rest of uh, rest of my time. I was a very sort of average all the way through school. Um, and but it's it's interesting, isn't it, with the, the whole average thing? Because as soon as you get into the core, you're told that you're the top 0.01 percent um, uh, of of the world. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, and that's when I that's when I was at Limston um, and had a. Uh, mega time there for a couple of months yeah ace so that's a, a bit of a change from um obviously the the love of music and the arts uh into just deciding to be a, a royal marine was there uh, uh any sort of um i don't know build up to that like did you have family members serving in the forces or friends or uh what was the influence to get into the uh, marines so, so neither of my parents were in the uh, military but all of my grandparents um were in the royal navy Okay. So they all served in the Second World War in in the Navy. My grand was one of the first runs over um, into Normandy after D-Day. She was on the uh, Admiral Ramsey staff, which was oh, wow. mega. Um, both my grandfathers were in the Royal Navy. One was a, a chief shipwright, a chippy. Uh, the other uh, was uh, two and a half in the Wavy Navy, so the um, Volunteer Reserve. And they both served um, and both uh, got spectacularly injured as well, which was <laughs> a sort of standard for hair sign. Uh, and um, yeah, so I, I think I must have sort of got it from from them really. Um, but I'd always wanted to join up. Um, it's a bit weird. Um, I mean, initially I wanted to join up because I wanted to be a bandy. Um, I wanted to be in the Royal Marines band. That's why I started playing the trombone back in the day. Yeah. Um, but that then that sort of after I'd done so much school, uh, so, sorry, so much music at school, um, I just went to the commandos instead. But interestingly, um, the love of music paid off because couple of months into uh, my time at Limston, I managed to break my back um, and that sort of put paid to any uh, commando um, aspirations. So um, as you're at Limston, as you can probably imagine, they tell you that the core is a glorious thing and you, there's no point in transferring to any other parts of the military because you did this <laughs> week. Um, so I resigned my commission. I joined the band service and I was oh. actually a bandy for three years. Oh, no um, way. Thanks. Which, yeah, which was mega. Uh, went went around to all sorts of places. Uh, played in Russia, um, you know, loads of countries, and 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 lots in Britain, obviously as well, where, with my silly white hat. Uh, and my brother is actually still the uh, director of music of um, the Royal Marines Band in Collingwood, which is which is mega. So um, he was there at the, our late Majesty's funeral on on telly the other day. So that's brilliant. But after after three years, I decided I want my commission back, so I transferred to the Royal Navy. And that's, yeah, that's where I was for the next of the the rest of the twenty years. Yeah, wow, that's that's quite the journey. I mean, uh, that's uh, to to sort of have have one thing going. You're in, and then you uh, you injure your back, and then sort of have to to pivot. And then what 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 a great thing to fall back on your love of music again. Um, so you mentioned before, you know, the sort of the the quote unquote the average uh, sort of person, the average soldier, the average. Uh, you know, uh, student, that sort of thing. I hear the word average quite a bit from a lot of my guests where they were just the average in their unit. They were just the average <laughs> during uh, recruitment, just the average during training, yet they managed to get some, to some pretty pretty awesome places. Um, 
do you think when people say, and maybe not speaking just for yourself, but when people say that they were just the average, they're just sort of trying to tone things down or genuinely because there's so much talent in the world of the military that, you know, you, there are just a lot of averages, but those averages are just the best of the population in terms of, you know, maybe physicality, mindset, that sort of thing? No, I think, I think um, quite a lot of us are team players and, um, I truly believe I am average, and I think quite a lot of people would tell you that I am average. But uh, I mean, I um, you know much later in my life when I had a, had my moment and uh, and left the military, I went to see someone about um, you know how I was feeling and all this stuff, and they they did point out the fact that jumping out of helicopters, driving warships, blowing stuff up is not not normal. Um, so maybe um, it takes a type of person who is not average to go and do what we do. Um, but that's not different. That's not that's not um, something extraordinary for us until maybe we, we sit down and, and look at what we've done. And you find that um, I listen to sport podcasts and, and you listen to um, some, some of the rugby players, some of the best rugby players in the world, you know, and they'll, they'll, they'll never really realise that what they do is is something extraordinary as well until they sit back and look, look at it and um, maybe... Maybe one of the things that they they uh, regret the most is the fact that they didn't celebrate what, what they were doing at the time. And I think it can probably be the same for others. I mean, um, I never took stock of what I'd accomplished while I was in the mob. Um, and I think that's probably the same for a lot of us. We just crack on and do it, don't we? Yeah, exactly. Um, that, that old adage, you know, ordinary people doing the extraordinary um, you know, I, I'd probably say the same about myself, like uh, very average copper, but surrounded by, you know, absolute uh, amazing people and amazing talent. Um, you know, you mentioned before, uh, was that sort of doing your exit interview, maybe when you're transitioning out that you had that conversation where, you know, you're doing these things, going to war, uh, jumping out of helicopters. Uh, and that's not quite a normal thing for the everyday, everyday person. I think I would also add to that, that you know, the, the, this sort of, as soon as the sort of GWAT, the global war on terror started, um, and it hasn't really obviously ended, there's, you know, how, how do you put an end date to it? Um, I don't think we've really had in history, uh, certainly in modern history, a war or something that's been designated a war lasts for so long as well. So that sort of impact, um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm assuming when, when you studied at the military colleges and whatnot, um, and studying previous uh battles, previous wars, what, what sort of things uh, were highlighted in terms of the impact that this sort of protracted uh, war would have on, on, on you know, soldiers and troops and that sort of thing? Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because the, nothing had uh, been as protect, protracted as this yeah. um, ever, really, I don't think. I suppose Vietnam for the Americans um, went on a fair amount of time, as did Afghanistan for the Russians. But... Um, Certainly in Britain, you'd look at um, Gulf War One, which was shocking all, wasn't it? The Hundred yeah. Day War um, yeah. just absolutely um, smashed it. The um, Hundred Hour War, sorry, and then the um, the Falklands for us as well. But in back in eighty two, um, but I don't think it was really highlighted um, the effect on that it, that it would take its toll on people, um, because I don't think anybody understood it. I'm not entirely sure people really understand it now um i think a lot more people will be getting a lot more help if they did um and i think um when you talk to anybody who's been there or been associated with um with uh the past 20 years in the military 
Um, I think it's been fairly unique, to be honest. Yeah. Um, obviously, I, I never went kinetic in Afghanistan. It's landlocked, and, and I'm a sea sailor. Um, but my brother was there. Um, he, he went to uh, Iraq and Afghanistan. And I know that um, I don't think he's ever addressed it properly. Um, and a lot of my mates were out there as well. And it, it's just one of those one of those periods of time when, you know, it becomes the norm. Yeah. So another rotation in Afghanistan just becomes a norm. Doesn't make it the right thing. It just makes, but it just makes it what it is. And I think that's one of the thing about the, the the best militaries in the world, which is, you know, what we always like to think we're part of, is that you adapt to the situation and then you yeah. just crack on. Um, and however long the tail is, that might be wagging slowly. You can guarantee that the teeth at the front end are biting and getting on with it. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I was listening to a, a, another podcast. I honestly can't remember which one. It was. It was a while ago now. But they were saying, like, w- with the amount of amazing advances that have resulted from war, um, you know, things like battlefield um, medics uh, mm. to you know conducting surgery on planes and you know all sorts of amazing things, um, re- reducing the number of sort of battlefield casualties. But as a result of that, you are um, there's still you know soldiers at the end of that who are injured. Um, in record numbers, uh, both physically and obviously in, in the mental health realm realm as well. And like you said, I think uh, you know there's there's more that's going to be found out, obviously in, in in due course. And you know it's it's a sort of multi generational war now that's being fought. Um, you know, yeah. With... And I think I think that's a really interesting point because there are more people making it back, yeah, than ever before. Exactly. I mean, you see some of the guys who come back and and who are doing extraordinary things now. They would never have lived before, um, and. The 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 game changing things that have come out of Afghanistan in medicine are just absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Um, but I I think that um, we're only just catching up with the mental war now. Um, it's very very easy to see an amputee um, uh, and and see what they've done or reward somebody who's um, you know charged headfirst into a into a bayonet attack. Um, but there's always something beneath that. Um, that that is hard to address, yeah, exactly. uh, and I think that it needs addressing more. Uh, I think people need to start talk, uh, walking the walk and not just talking the talk about it. Absolutely, yeah. No, I, I completely agree. And um, yeah, I'd like to get into that a bit later, just based on how I sort of uh, found you out and stuff through through sort of LinkedIn and stuff. So we'll, we'll get into a bit of that later. So just um, so now you're sort of you're in the the band, and then you wanted to sort of go back into getting your uh, your commissioned <laughs> officer. Uh, sort of game on again uh what was the process like uh during during this sort of next phase in your life well it was relatively relatively simple to be honest i had to go and do the admiralty board again which i found hilarious because i already passed it twice uh yeah. <laughs> once, once at sixth form once at university and then um they were they, they wanted me to do it again for the uh for the navy which has a, a lower pass mark than the royal marines <laughs> so um you know, I, I went and did that, and actually, I, it was probably my most nervous attempt because I'd already passed it twice. I was like, "Good grief, what will happen if I fail this?" I look yeah, like the, right, the fear it. of success. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so um, yeah, did that, and then uh, went to uh, went to Dartmouth for a year, which was amazing. Um, <laughs> when you turn up to basic training, and they say, "Right then, uh, this is where the laundry is. They'll do your laundry," and uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> It was just a different. The previous day, I've been at I've been at Limpston, um, 
ironing my kit dry just because then that stuff is in the tank just before you just before you know we, we got our heads down uh, we, we had to then go and wash all our kit again um which had you know been beautifully uh global laurels um prior to that and then uh, yeah so ironing stuff dry listening to uh s club seven was my uh my choice um <laughs> at two in the morning before getting uh, woken up for a taste the old mud run um shortly afterwards you know it, it, and then you get you get to dartmouth and they're like oh yeah the uh just be kind be kind to the uh the uh, laundry ladies because they you know they do all this <laughs> stuff. i'll be as kind as you want that's absolutely amazing um, <laughs> and then you know just learning to um learning to transition to the the navy was um interesting just because you know it's a it's an incredibly um ancient service really um and um, all of their traditions, which which obviously I I own now, um, was was mega. I re- you know really enjoyed it. There was um, a serious amount of port drunk during that that year, um, and uh, yeah, I, I tried to learn the rules of the road um, and you know navigation stuff like that, which was which was great. Um, I say great. I absolutely <laughs> hated the rules of the road. I still do now. It's on my <laughs> shelf behind me though, um, and um yeah and, and then it was looking forward to going to sea you know and actually putting it into action which was which is quite daunting because you know um you, it's all very well doing it in a simulator but actually when you start chucking a warship around it it's um it, it's a bit different yeah yeah and what what are your um sort of cohorts like it um you know in the is it the academy that you're going to like in in Dartmouth or what, Naval what, College, yeah. Naval College, yeah. So, um, are they are there a lot of sort of folks transitioning from other services because of various things, or yeah. is it just a mixed bag? Yeah, it's, it's sort of a mixed bag. We, um, we have you know, um, straight out, fresh out of uni people, uh, fresh out, um, straight out of school people as well, and then yeah. you had um, what do you call upper yardsmen like me who uh, transferred in service. Um, you got the senior up yard, these old crusty um, warrant officers who've decided to make a fist of it and uh, and and tr- um, get the commission. Um, and th- I think there was a sprinkling of um, other services coming over. I think um, one guy had been in the uh, the Paris when he was in the TA, you know, uh, in Civvy Street and stuff like that, which always proved amusing while we were doing fizz. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> uh, yeah, it was just it was just a good time. It's like um, it's like. Uh, being paid to be at school isn't it and just um yeah just um messing about on boats and stuff like that it's, it's really good i mean nice. I, I say it like that it was pretty hard work at times but um, i just really enjoyed it because my my bar was set at a different level because limpston's just like no other place on earth yeah, okay. and um i thought that even even though i didn't do a, a full stretch there any to any period of time there um getting thrashed on the bomb field up and down the Holy Acre, out on the common, out on the moor, um, to to go to uh, Dartmouth and um, you know have a duvet and uh, nice, yeah, <laughs> nice just set, you, set you up for success yeah. living in the mud, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. No, it, it was good, and then and then we all go off to different places because you've got logistics officers, um, you've got the wafus, the um, uh, pilots and navigators and stuff like that, and we all go our separate ways. Yeah. Uh, and I went to a, a mine hunter, which sort of set the Set the tone for the rest of my career, really. It was that um, like your decision, or was it uh, something that was decided for you based on ver- various aptitudes that you you know, maybe lined for? Um, it, a bit of bit of both. Um, 
if you go to a mine hunter, you as a young officer, you're more likely to get a bit more responsibility fairly early on because if you, okay. because you there's so few officers on board that actually you end up driving the ship, right? Um, okay. So cool. it and that that's really cool. Whereas if you're um, if you're a YO uh, in a big ship, um, obviously there's more to break, so you get less um, less time on the wheel. So um, no, it was really good. HMS Banger. We went out to the out to the Baltic. Nice um, and. Uh, uh, went hunting for old World War Two mines, which was which was a lot of fun, uh, and that was my f- sort of first introduction to um, to to proper uh, operations um, and also proper runs ashore because yeah. we we were part of a NATO task group there, and we went into a port sort of every other week, and uh, wow, it's a it's a great run ashore around the Baltic. If you ever get a chance, uh, we we went to Kiel during Kiel week, um, Kielavoka. Wowzers! Um, <laughs> the the Germans do it properly. That's for sure. Nice, <laughs> nice one. And what time of uh sort of what time period was this? Two uh, thousands, you say? Or yeah, two thousand uh, uh, four. I popped out of Dartmouth, and then okay. uh, once I'd done that time on Banger, um, I did my final um, navigation exams, uh, and then I joined uh, HMS York and Destroyer as uh, Osswatch Two. Um, as my first compliment ship, and uh, that was fantastic. Type forty twos over the um, uh, absolutely brilliant ships. You know, proper old style. They had um, Olympus gas turbines, the same gas turbines as Concorde. Um, the sound they made were just amazing. Brilliant awesome. ships went really, really very fast, and then they could stop in a ship length of the well. So, oh, okay. a great bit of kit, really great bit of kit. Um, you know, fairly getting on a bit, um, and they only lasted about five or six years after I I left the York, uh, and they're all now um, razor blades, unfortunately. But yeah. great bits of kit, loved it. Yeah, ace. And what's um what's the like two thousand four? So obviously we're well into sort of the really kinetic phase of uh, the G Watt, like we were talking about before. What's yeah. the, uh, you know, obviously that was more of a landlocked battle, but what's the op tempo like for you guys at this stage? Um, I know it's still training phase, but is there a, sort of a hurry on so we can go support, you know, as support yeah, elements? So now, now it's all um, all about uh, supporting uh, NATO activities around the globe. As in a destroyer, it's generally protecting a, 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 an aircraft carrier, um, okay. protecting the, the jets on and off. Um, and also... Um, just doing um, standard um, piracy interdiction, oh, yeah. um, people smuggling interdiction, um, drugs, drugs and gun running uh, around the Mediterranean. Actually, we went, we were in the Med in oh five oh six, and um, we did the evacuation of Beirut. So it all kicked off in Beirut. Um, the Israelis started uh, bombing it quite heavily, and um, it was, the decision was made to evacuate the. Um, well, actually, most people took their people off, um, and we, as the Brits, went into sailed into Beirut to action, um, whilst it was getting bombed and um, and picked up a couple of thousand people. Yeah, uh, we were doing shuttle runs from Beirut to Cyprus, um, and at, you know, really putting the hammer down. It was, it that was a um, first bit of proper proper work, really. Um, it was um, it was a really interesting time, and then we we blockaded um, that that area. Um, uh, for for a month or so um, until it all calmed down. So we had the Israelis out there. Actually, um, we'd been training with the Israelis prior to um, to uh, you know getting out there and doing the do. And uh, one of their ships got hit by a surface to surface missile. Uh, and we'd been training them just prior 
prior to that. Um, so that was that was uh, unfortunate. Um, but then <laughs> they tend to try to hide behind us, which was somewhat annoying after that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, yeah, it was interesting times, and a really good way of learning the job as well. Yeah, I was, I was a boarding officer. I was a boarding officer during that, so I was doing you know boarding operations in and around um the the mediterranean you know there are worse jobs um it was quite it was quite a lot of fun to be honest yeah no, yeah well, i mean i could imagine you yeah, had mediterranean sort of uh, northern africa that sort of area with piracy people smuggling like you're saying yeah, right. <laughs> i love that they were uh, hiding behind you maybe they take that as a compliment that they were hiding behind you because oh, 100 percent yeah yeah chaff, chaff uh, british warship yeah yeah exactly uh, it's, a, it's a great it's a great compliment if they think they will uh We'll uh, get get the silkworm before they uh, they do, but yeah, no, it, it it was a good learning process for me. But also, it was just us doing our, actually doing our job. You know, yeah, one of the many times when we're actually doing our job and um, getting very re- little recognition. Um, yeah. But that's sort of the navy. It used to be, uh, you know, quite proud of the lack of medals that we had because we were doing the do, but it never <laughs> got recognised. Oh, that's hilarious. Um, and how, how long are you spending sort of, um, you know, off offshore? Uh, like, is it sort of months at a time or how long are you living on these shore? It, it depends on the on the job. It can be six, six weeks to, to a couple of months okay. if, um, if it you know, if that's what's needed um, or um, as required. You know, when when you need to refuel, um, if you can, you'll go alongside because um uh you, you get a chance to get some fresh fruit and veg and stuff yeah um i think whilst we're out there it was about a month um in defense watches you're doing six on six off just continually yeah six hours on six hours off um and just making sure that the ship's uh, fully manned all the time yeah. um out in the gulf when i was in mine hunters then you'd be out for a couple of weeks because you you've only got that amount of um fuel and um food before yeah. you have to um go back alongside and either raft up with one of the big ships or or go alongside so it really depends on the operation but in my um well, 20 years in total i did two and a half thousand sea days so uh yeah. two and a half thousand days at sea yeah, wow. um so it's it's a fair amount and and early on in these sorts of um operations that like you're mentioning before do you have a family at this stage or um, are you still sort of single and um, seeing the world, that's sort of already di- already divorced by this point. Um, yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, standard standard naval uh, naval officer get get married early, get divorced early. That's um, it. <laughs> Tick that box. Yeah. Um, thankfully, yeah. um, I didn't have any kids with my first wife, so um, I was um, I was I was sort of lucky in in that way. And that's a terrible thing to say, but you know, you know oh. what I mean. Yeah, um, yeah. and uh, and yeah, and. I really do think it's a young person's job because um, when the um, the family uh, life uh, starts catching up with you, um, it becomes harder and harder to go away. And as a warfare officer in the Navy, if you're not going to see, then you're not really doing your job until yeah. until you're old enough and senior enough to drive a desk. Yeah. No, fair, fair enough. And that's what we were sort of chatting about before was the sort of uh, – you know the the, the work life family life balance, which, uh, you know, like you were saying early on in the career, it's it's really not much of a balance. It's very one sided, um, in itself until yeah, you can sort of be more home based or land based. In your case, um, so so what we're um sort of the so we're going sort of two thousand four two thousand five 
uh, you're in the med doing these operations. Um, does it ever progress? Like, not necessarily progress, but are you doing a lot of interoperability training with NATO to, to to make sure that you guys are on the same page, that sort of thing? Yeah, all all the time, um, and and it's needed as well, especially when you're working with because um, uh, although there's a NATO handbook, um, you often find that if you're working with a different half of the U.S. Navy, so you know your East Coast and West Coast, some yeah. of the um, let me get it right. Some of the West Coast guys have never worked with NATO. So if, if you um, if you interrupt with with guys who aren't um, aren't talking on that page, then sometimes some of the uh, the take orders are different. Um, right. So if you're controlling cap uh, combat air, air patrols, and you say uh, cover and cover in one half of the states means take. Then you you've got problems. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, yeah. so you um so you practice a lot with them, uh, and all the different navies got you know slightly different ways of working, slightly different tactics, and there's always um you always get try and get as many ships together as possible to try the um um the the squadron task tactics and task force tactics of protecting whichever um uh you know main unit mission essential unit that you you need to protect and just uh, ensuring that your tactics are deployed correctly you know where are you going to put the destroyers for the air battle where are you going to put the frigates for the subsurface battle and surface battle uh, and and what are you going to do with the aircraft you know it's there's lots of different ways of skinning a cat it very much depends on who the boss is which country um is holding the flag at the time and and how aggressive you want to be because obviously um, rules of engagements can be uh, interpreted in in many different ways, and um, some countries tend to be slightly more on the front foot, shall we say, with um, uh, rules of engagement than others. We tend to find that we uh, in the Royal Navy would 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 err on the side of caution until sure. kinetic action had happened. Um, you know, which has its pros and its cons, but that's the way that we work. Um, yeah. Don't get me wrong. Once it gets kinetic, then it's all going to get, you know, fairly, fairly crudely, fairly fast. But yeah, um, yeah, it was a lot, a lot of training to to do with that, um, and just learning how to work together. And to be honest, you know, the runs ashore are just as important because if you get to know the the lads, lads and lasses on the other ships, um, it really does help because you know who's on the circuit at the time, and and you you can you can get on get on with them and 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 find out how to uh, work with them better. Yeah, it's you know, it's all about communication, isn't it? I mean, it's one of the greatest things that we have in the military, and and you know the police force and stuff like that. Um, communication works both up and down. Sometimes I find in civil street that um, people worry about communication up, uh, and then communicate yeah. enough down. Yeah. Um, whereas you know you find out fairly quickly that if you don't communicate um, in the military, it's all going to go pear shaped really quickly. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. Um, on the previous uh, comment that you were making with, um, you know, like the sort of uh, rules of engagement, your ROEs, I've, I've, I was commenting about this the other day um, with, uh, especially, I, I suppose, modern times to ancient times, it's, it's one of those things, like you were saying with the Navy, it's such an ancient sort of, um, you know, lineage uh, that it's still very much used when when countries, uh, nations are, are posturing. It's, it's a lot of the, if there is a naval capability obviously you know it's very difficult to sort of send an entire army uh you know on foot through land masses and stuff mm. but when um I, I take for instance and not to get political or anything about china and russia for instance whenever there's like a delegation uh let's say there's there was a meeting uh recently in, in the last couple of years where they sent delegates to australia 
there's always sort of this this uh you know naval entourage that follows uh for posturing purposes Um, and it's always the navy that's used in those situations because you know you can't be flying jets over a certain airspaces whereas water international uh zones and stuff are are, are very much are massive um what, what what do you think uh, you know, like countries like the US, um, the UK, you know, NATO in general are doing right in that space. Uh, compared yeah, well, to... what was it? Um, it was it George George Bush who said it was a, an aircraft carries 110,000 tons of diplomacy. That's it. Um, and, and, you know, it's it, it, soft power is something that navies do really, really well or have the ability of doing really well. well. Um, because if you park a warship a couple of miles off, off uh, shore, it, it's pretty obvious what what might happen exactly. um, without doing anything. And if you're if you're um, practicing your right of passive of, of free navigation, that is proving a point. It's also um, maintaining the um, lines of communication, maintaining the shipping lanes. There's so much is done. I mean, especially in Britain, people forget that eighty percent of our our goods come in via sea yeah. because we're an island. I think people forget that quite often, and without, um, you know, demonstrating the fact that we do have a, a capable navy, people um, that just wouldn't happen. Uh, the the mission down in the Gulf to keep the, um, the the seaways open down there is hugely important, but never spoken about because yeah. if you if you start talking about it, it gets political. If you send a load of warships down there and just keep bimbling up and down the Strait of Hormuz, then it just sort of nicely takes over and. You know, they come and say hello, we say hello back, and everybody's happy because exactly. they demonstrated that they knew we were there. We knew that they knew we were there, and 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 all the tankers are following us. You know, and and there's no problem. It's when um, if you stop exercising those rights that, that there is a problem. And um, but if you stick a massive white ensign on the back of a ship, everybody knows what that means. It means that you've got something very very capable. You know, a couple of miles off offshore with the with the absolute capability of delivering ordnance ashore as required, and with over the over the horizon operations, uh, the, it's the it's the hundred mile uh, literal space which is um, delivering um, you know three, a brigade of Royal Marines ashore um, rapidly as proved in Al Four, um, and they took no casualties. Yeah. Um, because they did it very, very effectively, very, very quickly. Because it went from "Hello, we're here" to uh, "We're no, no, we're really here" and, yeah. and getting ashore in in no seconds flat. Because you know what's a what's a horizon? Twelve miles from the ground. Yeah. You know, if you've got a really big, tall building, a couple of you know, a couple of um, maybe twenty miles, something like that, stick a battle group over the horizon. Have no idea what's going to pitch up. Yeah, um, exactly. And and you know, throw in our big aircraft carriers and F thirty five and stuff like that, and all of a sudden there's a whole world of pain coming down really, really rapidly. Um, it's interesting how that sort of gets forgotten about because um, we've had a, a landlocked battle for the past couple of decades. Yeah. Um, but um, quite a lot of the air power is delivered via sea. Exactly. You know, uh, and you know. Um, in the latter part of my career, we we trained to protect um, American aircraft carriers that would sit in the Gulf or sit in the Indian Ocean, yeah. and uh, fire jets over Afghanistan. So, it's um, it's a job that isn't or hasn't been spoken about recently because it hasn't been a naval conflict recently, um, uh, and people go why why the aircraft carrier? Well, 
the last time they talked about scrapping aircraft carriers um, and not carrying them on was just before the Falklands War. And right. we all know how that ended. So um, I think it's really important to get the the soft power element of of navies in general, uh, because I, I do think that it's a really, really good way of not going kinetic. Yeah, and at I the agree. end of the day, we don't join the military to go kinetic. I mean, I'm sure there are some lunatics who do join to go kinetic, but actually what we're doing is protecting people to make sure it doesn't. Um, that's certainly how I always looked at it. Yeah, and uh, even like sort of like, uh, you know, in addition to sort of war, but like you were saying before, like the logistics of moving, uh, you know, raw materials, oil, uh, you know, sh- just shipping lanes in general for trade, um, just keeping everything, you know, nice and nice and calm in, the, in those sorts of areas. You know, a, a great naval power uh, is able to do that. I mean, you see it like in, um, you know, I'm originally from Malaysia, so sort of from the Southeast Asian Asian perspective, uh, you know, China dredging up islands in the middle of nowhere so they can refuel and, and things like that. So, you know, it just shows you how important it is to have a, uh, a reliable, uh, you know, posture uh, in terms of uh, your, your naval posture. Um, so, yeah, so we're sort of going past, Sort of the the early two thousands. Um, wh- where else are you thinking your career is taking you? Like, what's the next stage in your career post? Uh, well, I, went, I went from the York to the Falklands. Um, I spent some time as a watchkeeper down there, which is always interesting um, because we've got quite a large presence down there um, that nobody really hears about, um, but that has prevented anything happening again yeah. uh, for many many years. Um, and that was the first of three trips down there, four trips down there um two as um uh watchkeeper and two as um uh the sa2 ops so um, um assistant chief of staff operations down there okay. with latterly and um yeah had, had a good time down there um it's a really interesting place meet some interesting people work with the uh, other two services quite uh, closely down there do um do some tri-service work it, i mean in effect it's become um the best tri-service range that britain has right. uh, because you can get jets supporting um infantry with with a bit of navy thrown in um as well um in you know pristine pristine areas yeah. so it's, it's fantastic um the the uh, army gets to throw proper grenades around and 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 get muddy the RF is just fly around as they wish because there's nothing around. Uh, it's really cold, so the jets love it. Uh, and the the navy, when they come down, get some proper seas to play with as well. So it's it's a fantastic place. I mean, um, it, you know, the last time I went down there, I went down with the family. So uh, a year down there, my kids were getting a helicopter uh, for a school trip to go and see sea lions, you know, um, nice, yeah. which was <laughs> a- absolutely unbelievable. Um, so it was a bit of a shock when they got back here and got, got on a bus to go to Bird World. Um, <laughs> but it was, uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I went there and then back to um, back to Britain onto a Type 23 HMS uh, Montrose, uh, back out to the Gulf uh, for my first proper Gulf trip uh, where I did... Uh, we did um, CTF-52, which is um, anti-piracy, anti-drugs. Because yeah. at that point, the um, uh, straits down there were uh, being raided quite heavily by pirates. So there was an international, was a international uh, group of us down there um, um, policing the piracy. And also we, we got some really good, decent drug busts down there. Nice. Uh, 16 tonnes of drugs seized, which is pleasing. Um, 
and did lots of um boarding operations around the gulf as well just talking to the locals see what was yeah. going on you know um getting patterns of life uh and just making sure that things just ticked along nicely which is what you have to do because otherwise uh they don't and um that's not what we need so just you know bimbling around and about the straits of hormuz and a bit further north just to make sure all, all was well yeah and that was that was a good um nine months deployment uh sailed back home uh and then i don't get from there i can't even remember um to um Pee-way course um so um actually no i lie that's when i did my mine warfare training and became the xo of a series of mine hunters um okay. and another three trips down to the gulf <laughs> just a, a general, cheeky three trips down <laughs> yeah that's a general rotation for um mine hunters um and you know it 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 is what it is but you're doing a lot of training for mine hunting lots of interoperability with the americans because they've got their six mine hunters out, out there as well yeah so we rotate rotate with those guys do a lot of um do a lot of um soft power stuff with the um gulf states we do um, joint joint exercises with uh, the Saudis, the uh, Qataris, Omanis, um, and uh, you know gen- general mine clearance, making sure that all the routes have got no mines in. Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds obvious, but um, there, there were a lot of very cheap mines laid in the Iraq War, um, and we're still not convinced we've found them all. To be honest, um, so we keep we keep making Sweeping. making sure that there aren't any appearing because. The last thing you want is a hundred and ten thousand tons of oil tanker going boom. Um, yeah. It's it's not good for anybody. Yeah. So the, yeah, another t- three trips down there. Yeah, that's that, that sounds like uh well, I mean to some people maybe like life on a life on a very large boat basically is uh maybe not the the greatest thing in the world because they've got you know uh, sort of their 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 sea legs, but um that sounds like a fun adventure to me. Um, but uh, and, and that's a very small boat at that point, a, a 500 ton plastic boat, yeah. which um, gets thrown around like nothing on earth. Um, if you if you time it right and there's a decent sea state, it, it, they slam. Okay. Uh, yeah. So if you stand under a hatch and you jump at the right time, you'll end up on the deck above. So it's uh, <laughs> it's it's an interesting thing. Uh, certainly on the way back, we took one of the um, ships back home from the Gulf. And mine hunters go very, very slowly. It's 10 knots all the way home, if you're lucky. And our navigator, we got a beam sea, so we're rolling a lot um, across the Indian Ocean. And our navigator was not happy, not yeah. happy at all. <laughs> didn't didn't make it out of his pit for a couple of days. Oof, yeah. And then he, he he got out of his pit. He's like, oh, I'm better now, boss. Um, and the, uh, he got into the wardroom, so I'll, I'll have some soup, yeah. <laughs> pea soup put in front of him, this green slop. Oh, just no. went side to side, and that was him straight back into the uh, into the heads and then back to bed, yeah. Uh, oh. Yeah, so um, <laughs> interesting times, but you need your sea legs on, on mine hunters. They, uh, they roll They'll a rock lot. you around, yeah. What's the, um, like, I mean, I could only just imagine, like, what the seasickness rates are, but, like, is... You know, by the time you get sort of, uh, you can't really train for it. For it, can you? Like, you you either adapt or you don't really. But um, what are the facilities like? Is it just a puke bag that you just kind of puke in and then uh, carry on, or how does it yeah. work? Yeah, I, I mean, if you haven't got your sea legs on a mine hunter, you get you get taken off mine hunters because honestly, it's just not worth it. Yeah. Um. Although I do know somebody who um got seasick on an aircraft carrier and uh, she she left the navy 
Okay, um, yeah. Because honestly, it doesn't get more stable than that. The are not are not going to see. But yeah, um, yeah uh, I've been on the bridge with the captain. We we both had buckets on a <laughs> on a particularly honking um, uh, passage, but that doesn't happen too often. Normally, by that point, you you've got your sea legs. But yeah. there are times when at night there's no horizon to see. Yeah, you're just okay. going around, and it's pretty it's pretty honking to be honest. Although down in the Falklands, it was always good fun because you got these big strapping infantiers who think they're the mutts nuts, and then you take them to sea and they go the same colour as a uniform. It's excellent to see. <laughs> I love that, uh, you know, sort of that, that pranking that goes on within the services. Um, you were mentioned before the the anti-piracy uh, sort of uh, around that region. Um, you know, I think one of the famous ones that obviously got made into a movie with Tom Hanks and it was the uh, the Merce, Alabama getting uh, getting boarded. Um is it one of those things where there there were a lot of those incidences that just didn't get reported in terms of stoppages where you know there were preventions of that happening and it just didn't get reported all, or did all, it just happen? Time. Yeah, okay. No, all the time. Uh, there's so much interaction down there. And yeah, they'll try their hand. In fact, um, HMS Ocean was going on passage the passage down there, and um, she's a she's a big slow ship. Yeah. Um, and they just thought it was a big slow ship until they started climbing up the side of it and saw a Royal Marine ready to welcome them on board. Yeah. At which point they they made a swift exit, you know. But yeah, it happens all the time. Although not very often now because we 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 stopped it. Um, so actually, those straits are very very safe to go through. Yeah. Um, although you know we've still got personnel down there who guide um guide and offer guidance to ships um coming down Suez down the Red Sea, yeah. um. It, it happens, but much less now because they know that um, we we stamped on it quite hard. Um, not like Malacca. Malacca is still a bit of a nightmare from what what I hear. Um, but that was never my sphere of influence. Um, but yeah, um, it, it, there was lots of inter- interactions all the time. Funny enough, it dropped off when the Russians came to help, <laughs> and I don't I don't think they fancied it to be honest. Um, and uh, yeah, it's um, it's an interesting time, but um, I. I mean, there are other problems down there now, um, which yeah. um, are causing terrible, terrible problems. Um, but we didn't get involved with that at the time. It kicked off after I left. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, funny you mentioned uh, Malacca as well. My uh, my grandfather was a captain in the Royal Malayan Navy, so when it was still under sort of British um, yeah. occupation, and he um, when he passed away, you know, you, you go through their art of their their sort of diaries and all that sort of stuff, and he had just binders upon binders full of reports of um, anti-piracy missions and mm-hmm. you know letting loose uh, the old machine gun to deter them shooting you know um, engine blocks and just making making sure that they uh, they just didn't come back that sort of thing but it was just yeah on a nightly basis they would just be deterring and this is well maybe yes yeah, 60s I think it was around around the 60s 60s 70s yeah and, and it's not it's not got much more uh, high tech either no um, yeah the, the, the pirates just get skiffed go go fast get on board with overwhelming force and and frightened frankly why would civics fight back you know yeah. it's not it's not their tip exactly um so yeah just pr- proving it providing a bit of reassurance from time to time um is is what we did yeah because you know not every company can afford to have your sort of maritime security that are armed it's only the the, the really big ones um and obviously they, they might not get targeted um so we, yeah, you, you're mentioning kids in that last uh, uh, sort of time period there. So are you is this about the time where you're starting a family and um, you're maybe 
uh, either thinking to be more sort of desk-based slash uh, what, what's the yeah. mindset like at this stage? I'm, I've never been a desk-based person. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> if I, I, I never had a shore job when I was in the Navy, um, which, you know, might might say something as to why it ended. But the, so um, so yeah, for 20, met... 20 years, you never had a, a sort of a shore job, r- r- roughly 20 years. Back, I spent a year on uh, a shore doing my principal warfare officers course. But apart from that, I was I was deployed. Wow, I mean, okay. I had a desk job in the Falklands, but yeah. I was eight and a half thousand miles away from home. So, yeah. no, I didn't. I didn't have a desk job. Whether wow. that means I was, you know, rubbish or a glutton <laughs> for punishment, I don't know. But keep no, him, I'll... keep him away from the staplers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Honestly, those staplers, they're they're dangerous. Um, yeah, no. So I'd I'd uh, met my um, to be wife um, uh, by this point. Uh, I'd met her. And nine months after I met her, I deployed for nine months. She was there when I got back. So I proposed um, a couple of months after that. And we got married six months later. And we had twins nine months after that uh, because wow. we had a good honeymoon. Yeah. <laughs> nice. um, and, and then, yeah, we, we had uh, twins, boy and a girl. Uh, and um, it all sort of changes then because um, I was still deploying. But yeah. obviously, um, it sort of weighs heavily on the on the heart and the head when I'm deploying and Beck is looking after the twins. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not really on, uh, which is why I say it's a bit of a, a young person's game. I know some people say that, um, you know, they just switch off family life when they go, um, go to deploy, but actually it's not, it's not as easy as you think. Um, yeah. and I've been in what, uh, so I'm at Beck in 2010. So I've been in for 10 years looking at, um, promotion, um and and principal warfare office course and then but then w- once you look at that um it's another six to eight years at sea before any uh chance of a a, a decent shore job really yeah and with uh i'm pretty ignorant to this but with the way that promotions and um you sort of the rank structure works in the navy is it sort of you know after a certain amount of time you're almost not forced but it's heavily encouraged to look for that promotion or can you stay at that one rank uh you know your entire career and, and not yeah no you, you wouldn't stay um you wouldn't stay at a rank um you'd get frowned upon and yeah well you'd just get you'd get eased out of the service so um and also you, you want progression don't you so yeah. um to do the principal warfare officers course which is you sort of your lieutenant commander qualify qualifying course effectively for a warfare officer um, but that's a that's a year's course in uh, HMS Collingwood, um, and it's pretty intense to be honest. Um, <laughs> they always said I oh, use it as a bit of shore time. I mean, I didn't see my family at all, um, yeah. if I'm honest, um, because you you work in a lot, and then you go to sea for the for the qualifying parts of it. So, and then once you once you've qualified, you have to go to sea to um, prove that you qualified and uh, be a principal warfare officer. So. Um, yeah, it's more more sea time followed by um, then in HMS Diamond, so a um, a destroyer, Type forty five destroyer, great bits of kit. Um, and we did the um, I just caught the back end of the evacuation of chemical weapons from Syria, yeah, which was uh, you know good. Yeah, uh, yeah. and then um, back to uh, a big refit for the ship. At which point. Not much use doing a refit, so I went back down to the Falcons to do that. Yeah, <laughs> so I was there for uh, another six months, then came back to Diamond, 
put her through um, the qualifying for deployment, which is called FOSC, Flag Officer Sea Training. Do a big package of training. You get um, fires, floods, attacks, everything you can possibly think of. Um, and then, um, uh, yeah, and then out to the Falklands again. Um, because I told them that I wanted um, some time with my family, and they said, "Well, you can you can take them out to the Falklands for a year." <laughs> I said, yeah. "Oh, thanks very much." Bring them along. <laughs> yeah, um, did a year down there, which was good, but it was starting to get a bit much. Yeah, I was doing a lot of I had a lot of hats down there um, because um, you know it's how it works. It's not it's not particularly um, well um, managed, to be honest, um, and then. Uh, came back home and th- uh, two months later I deployed again to the Gulf um, and I was out there as a chief of staff of the mine warfare battle staff and um, so the international um, so it's a British battle staff but it looks after the Americans and the the Brits okay. uh, and then I had a had a full-on breakdown uh, and came home uh, and that was sort of the beginning of the end really two years later I, I was a civic Okay, yeah. So, what's that like? So, um, uh, what what's your, I suppose, your mindset like in that sort of end phase of your military career? Um, did uh, is there help and assistance from the military in terms of you know looking for jobs outside or your uh you know career sort of advice, CV help, that sort of thing? Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, so yes, there is, but yeah, is it the big but. <laughs> question mark um now i'll be balanced because for the for the for the sake of um um not just dripping all the time um they have to aim it at everybody and therefore that's you know from the private soldier to an admiral of the fleet and therefore it's fairly broad brush you know one size Um, fits all sort of mentality yeah. yeah i mean i'd i'd uh i was being treated for um uh, depression, uh, burnout, spot of PTSD, um, and therefore I went through a slightly different way as well. I got some help from Help for Heroes, uh, and they did a really good CV course and 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 sort of push you in a different direction. But with the mainstream uh, resettlement courses, I basically just chinned them off because um, they weren't aimed at me. Yeah, uh, and I I did my own thing because my flash to bang, I wasn't really expecting that I'd leave the Navy. And then once I got boarded and they were like, that's it, you're out. I had six months to move the family, uh, get a job for Becca to get a job, get the twins into a new school um, and and get out of the Navy. So it was, it was pretty full on to be honest. And then, I mean, we didn't know it, but we moved the family North the weekend of lockdown. Oh, wow. Okay. So it was, it was pretty, pretty hairy. Um, but yeah, I, it's there's an argument for and against um, the resettlement service that the, the British military has at the moment. I'm fairly against because I don't think it um, is tailored enough and I don't think it gives the right advice. Um, certainly, I was pushed towards doing some random course on project management and um, told to get to take a pay cut. Um, I didn't do either because, I mean, it's bullshit, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, frankly, um, and um, it, it makes me angry when people are still 
um, told to do that. And I think that's probably what you picked up on in my post, which is why we're talking, because um, when I was coming out um, of the service, um, because I'd had a bit of a moment uh, mentally, um, I started reflecting this in posts on LinkedIn because I'm not on social media on any other social media yeah. um, and I was trying to network but I thought you know flipping out if they if they want to employ me they want to employ me so I might as well do this and, and tell people about it while I'm doing it yeah uh, and that's that's where I am now and um, you know I sort of fell into Amazon because um, I used to live next door to the Amazon recruiter yeah. <laughs> when she was in the Navy um, and and then I did a 18 busy 18 months to two years with with Amazon uh, during the pandemic um, as a operations manager and deli- uh, delivery service manager yeah. and then um, and now I work for KPMG um, yeah. because they came a calling and I said yes please nice one. so yeah it's it's um, it, it's an interesting time but you know there's so many different people coming out for so many different reasons I can see why it's not great but it could be a lot better yeah I um with an amazon especially you have that um they've got a pretty decent military sort of recruitment uh program don't they um when you were sort of looking to get out did you have a sort of an inkling or an idea of what you wanted to do outside of the military or was uh was that job at amazon and then now the role at kpmg sort of just something that just kind of naturally progressed into what it is now to be honest i was absolutely um bricking it i didn't know what to do um it's uh and i think the teeth arms so uh you know infanteers and and people like me water officers in the in the navy um our transferable skills are really really niche um and then you've got leadership and management so it's just finding somewhere where you can where somebody will take a punt um amazon are really good for that because they're a big company and they will um they will take a punt yeah. Um, because they know that um, military personnel are hugely capable, have the um, ability to learn, um, and we'll, we'll pick things up really quickly. Yeah. And that's great. It's a yeah. really good thing to do. Um, and as an I- initial job on leaving, it's a it's a pretty soft landing, yeah. um, which is what I needed, certainly. Um, you know, after you know, however long, it might not be the dream job for you, but actually as a first first job in TV Street, it's not a bad start for time. Exactly. It, it, I mean, it's like when you join the military, you know, like doing the, so the, the, the first steps are never the dream. It's, uh you know, it's just where you need to go to get to where your end destination is or or one of your goals, you know, it's, it's sort of the, the stepping stone, if you will. Um, I, I, I sort of, you know, I, I didn't serve anywhere near as long um, as, as 20 years, but um, even within the seven years that I was in the police, you still have that sort of institutionalized uh, mindset. And it's 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 really a subculture that you're living in because there's not many people in the population are in the police or in the military. You know, it's only sort of like 0.1% yeah. of the population, whatever it is. Um, and so you, you're sort of, you're growing up in that environment and certainly for yourself joining from, from a relatively young age as well, um, that having that one size fits all, transitional piece at the end of it is, is kind of i don't want to say a slap in the face but it's almost like um what's even the point really but when when yeah. you could probably just do better on your own yeah but, and, and it's sort uh, yeah. it, it can it can anger you as well because yeah. I, you know i got i got relatively pissed off because i was like come on i've given you 20 years but exactly and and, and the, there is a feeling that uh, it, you know this one's broken get, get me a new one um 
Uh, but I don't know. May, maybe we expect too much. But um, one thing that you do find is that is the flexibility that we have. You know, um, and that was sort of proved relatively early on when I pivoted twice in, within the services to find something that I, I could actually do. Yeah. Um, and and it's the same in Civic Street when when service leavers are going to Civic Street. You, you've got to do something for a good for a couple of years first. Yeah. But once you've done that, you can you can pivot again and find something you really want to do. Absolutely. I don't think you, I don't think you, think you should aim for the for the panacea of jobs um, immediately because um, I'm I'm not entirely sure that's that's possible. I mean the 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 one thing that I knew I wasn't going to do was work with the military because I'd I'd had enough. Yeah. Um, uh, which probably made things harder for me, but in the end, actually, I think I'm probably doing better because I've got I've got a wider experience of things um, rather than just going into military consulting, which. Um, I could do, but I don't want to. Yeah, and we, we were chatting off air just before we started saying, um, you know, I, I sort of went down the you know, policing and then, uh, you know, an easy, air quotes, easy transition was towards the, sort of the private CP sector, uh, close protection. Um, and then I sort of realized there's just, there's too many cowboys out there. Uh, it's it's not really sort of the industry that I thought it was. Um, and then I just went, you know what, let's, let's go down um, further down City Street and um, I'm I'm just landed into sort of consulting as well, um, uh, and and it gives you that you know like again for my police example when you're a police officer you're 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 really project managing constantly like you're uh, you know you're attending a crime scene um, and you're uh, you know you're evaluating all the risks you're you're, you're uh, allocating resources to various things it, it's it's like a mini project in itself. Um, I think what the hardest thing to do is taking sort of the experiences you get from the public sector, uh, from the military, and quantifying that into a CV. And that's what I think where we're chatting about the that initial job outside of the services, just you know, just just finding somewhere that that like Amazon, for instance, and being able to maybe start massaging your CV and tailoring it to CV Street, getting the examples, the quantifiable sort of examples. Uh, and then you know applying for your for other jobs and other organizations um how did uh the the sort of the job role uh happen with kpmg uh networking yeah. um somebody in my network um who i'm still yet to meet in person um, <laughs> nice. um just came knocked to my door and said you're fancy kpmg uh, and and i was yes I said yes very quickly, um, and then went through through um, the interview process. You know, but I, I, I think uh, on the way out, I think a lot of people put too much pressure on um, or too much um, uh, concentration on on CVs. Yeah. Um, I think they can be overrated, and they can they can lose you a job. But I'm not entirely sure that they'll get you a job these days. I think it's all about the the network. Um, which is why I'm so active on LinkedIn uh, yeah. and try and get other people active on LinkedIn because I think if you get to meet people, um, even if it's just virtually, they're more likely to get you a job. Um, so a, an effective um, effective group of connections, uh, effective network will get will get you the job that you want eventually. Yeah, and just from like a practical uh, perspective, like you know, a recruiter or a HR department, whatever you want, a talent acquisitions. They'll sift through thousands upon thousands of CV for the larger companies. You know what what's going to make your CV stand out? Not much else from the other CVs. Um, you know, there's only so much you can do, especially now with algorithms and whatnot. It's that personal connection, like you were saying. Like um, the the way that I I love to do it is sort of 
find the company that I would see myself fitting in well with, and then just connecting with people in various departments that I can see myself fitting with, um, yeah. you know, like, like through LinkedIn, um, sending them a message, you know, that personal touch really goes a long way. Um, it's, it's one of those, you know, we're, we're such, uh, communal, we're such a communal species that like, you know, anything where we can interact with one another is, is, is absolute gold. Um, that's how we met. <laughs> and yeah, hundred yeah, percent. You know. and, and I think one thing that I say to everybody is, um, if, if you like the people, you're probably going to like the company. Yeah. Um, if you don't like the people, then you're not going to like the company. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, whether you, whether on the way out, you, you've heard that it sounds brilliant. Well, that's great and everything, but you might then realize that actually you didn't like Knocker when you were in the service. Yeah. So why would you go and work in the same company as him? Because it's probably not a company that you want to work in. So um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff in C, but I think you're absolutely right. If you network with the right people, you network with people that you like. Um, you're more likely to work in in uh, an environment that is um, is conducive to uh, your enjoyment. Yeah, it just aligns with your um, you know from uh, your personality, your professional outlook, all that sort of stuff. Um, and yeah, so your so your LinkedIn posts then to to get back on LinkedIn and your uh, your social sort of I guess the one social media that you have. Even though I don't know if people like to associate LinkedIn with social media, but I, I think it is. <laughs> um, you know, you, you you have some pretty uh, pretty fantastic posts with. Uh, um, I think the first one that got my attention or the, the, not my attention, but the first one that I saw of yours was, I don't know if you were at a train station or it was in a, I think a parking lot with your family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was just talking about the family sacrifices that, you know, veteran yeah. families go through. Uh, and I was like, yep, yeah, from there, I was like, yeah, let's, let's, let's connect Will and uh, let's try to get you on this podcast. Um, but I think a lot of people sort of give other people flack on LinkedIn. We're chatting about this before as well, where they're putting personal posts and out of office posts and um you know for me it's like i don't want to know just necessarily what you can do professionally because i can read your cv it's that personal touch like we were saying before whether you're going to enjoy working with someone or not um do you get a lot of uh sort of connection requests or uh sort of chats with with folks in the in the veteran community because you're such a obviously advocate um for that community yeah i I do and I'm, i'm really lucky in that way um i get a lot of um a lot of people come to me directly because they they don't feel comfortable um saying what i'm saying yeah um, and, and they don't feel that they they can necessarily comment on my post because they it might be taken the wrong way i've got past that because um at the end of the day if you don't like me then oh well never yeah. mind and there's plenty of other people um and and yeah the, the thing about you know people jumping on and going oh it's not face sake yeah all right but you know i i don't care um, I don't. If if uh, if people want to say what what they're doing in their personal time, absolutely fine. You know, because I want to know the person, not just not just the automaton who's who's making snuggles in a factory. That's dull. Exactly. I mean, anybody can show that. Um, and uh, you, you generally find that the people who comment those things on on there are are on more often than not just yeah. being grumpy. Yeah. And I think what they forget is that it's it's a professional networking tool so if they're making a tool of themselves on this tool then nobody's going to employ them what's the point you <laughs> exactly know, right yeah it, it's really it's really odd but um you know it's i, I i've um I, I definitely use it as a as a way of um both easing my my mental stress but also you know hopefully helping a little um for service personnel leaving the mob 
um, and and who have struggles of their own getting into getting into a company because yeah. you know if if somebody's average as me can get into a decent job then um, then any bugger can frankly. Yeah, and I think it's 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 good just to keep like you know a lot of your posts I think are, are very positive. There's raising awareness with mental health, um, and, and yeah, it's 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 those people who you know in, in the communities like the military, like the police. You know, you, you just don't talk about things like feelings, and it's getting better certainly, mm. but um, there's still that stigma around mental health. So seeing somebody sort of coming out on the other side into City Street, um, who's dealt with the sort of issues that they might be dealing with as well, and seeing you know, some, some form of success there. Uh, and, and sort of just, as you say, you know, onwards, um, I think, I think that, that is very important. Um, what's, uh, you know, we, we, we highlighted a lot of, uh, strengths that, uh, service leavers can, can have an impact with in the, in the workplace. What's something that you've, um, you've sort of maybe identified where you're as a veteran, like that you're more potentially, I don't want to use the word unique, but more unique than sort of somebody who's never served before. Like what's, what's something that sets you apart? Really? It's really simple things like um, being able to present to people, being able to interact with anybody. Um, it's that communication that I think is, is absolutely, is a confidence and communication that you get from a veteran. Um, so um, I am quite happy to stand up in front of a couple hundred people and, and get on about, you know, my experiences or, 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 or help people, um progress you know as a as a uh, as a consultant yeah. because um it's just natural and i think that's natural to all service personnel because they've they've done it in in um in a much more trying setting mm. than a nice comfy um presentation suite um the presentation skills as well you know actually having the confidence to stand up there and and do something cogent yeah. a lot of people i've seen some very senior people so nervous about talking to people just because it's not something that's in their personality um and and that's you know that's something that we can really we bring out there the leadership and management skills that we have without even knowing it as well you know um we've done things in fairly trying situations uh, under time pressures the time pressures in civvy street are very rarely anything like you have on ops yeah so um it's it's just things like that you know really simple things that actually you won't really think about unless you sit down and, and reflect on um, what you've done. And and that's what I'd say to everybody, you know, just sit back, reflect, and just remember that what, what we do and what we did is yeah. not normal. Yeah. Yeah. The t- like you're exactly right. Uh, you know, time pressures um, and also just the, the ramifications of if you get your job wrong in, in, in the military and the police and stuff, it's, you know, it's potential lives as opposed to, Okay, yeah, yeah, but we, just make sure you know who you're talking to because, um, you know, I raised that a couple of times in Amazon. They were not happy that I didn't think boxes were quite as important <laughs> as what I used to do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, those those <laughs> bath bombs, you know, I ordered, they better get here by tomorrow. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if little Johnny doesn't get his bath bombs, you're in trouble. Yeah. Oh, it's hilarious. <laughs> um, so what would you say to somebody who's uh, sort of, it's it's been implanted in their mind that they want to leave um you know they've gone to the sort of the military um i don't know what the process is called but the um you know the transition trans- the transition yeah process yeah. um and and they know that it's not really the right fit for them just like it was for yourself mm-hmm. what what other options uh or you know what other sort of um paths would you maybe advice well, to them if you will. I, I generally think the world's their oyster um you've just got to network with people like-minded people yeah. find the right people 
um, who can put you in touch with people um, externally, then find a job that you can do for a couple of years uh, and then network like a badger when you're out here because you're more likely to get your perfect job once you're a civvy. Yeah. Um, so uh, than, than you are immediately from the mob because you just don't have the time. I mean, whether it's because the appointer has decided that because you're leaving the military, you need to do another nine months down the Gulf in your final year or, um, you know, the pressures of, of moving the family, moving your, your life, you know, out yeah. of your military accommodation and everything. It's unlikely you'll find your perfect job the first time. Find a job that fits. Find a job that works for you for a year, uh, for a couple of years, because anything shorter than that, people start questioning your CV. Yeah, no, true. And then whilst you're in that job, um, get your head down for a year, do it, and then after a year, put your head up and start scanning, start looking where you really want to go, and start talking to the people that you get on with that seem like you know, they're doing an interesting job that you want to do, uh, and do that. Um, but I don't think you should um, narrow your scope at all. Look at everything because yeah. um, all of the skills that we bring out are transferable to every job. Um, uh, I, I, I think, you know, as, as going back to the very first thing we talked about, you know, being bang average, our bang average is considerably higher than the majority of the people out here. Uh, and um, I don't think we should limit ourselves at all. No. Yeah, per- perfect. Uh, and and uh, what's life life like for you now? What's the sort of work-life balance uh you know what's uh the family time like these days well it's it's mega and do you know what um i got laughed at at work because you know i'm I'm in one of the big four and i said that oh it's it's brilliant in the big the work-life balance working in kpmg is amazing and i got laughed at like (laughs) you you join the one of the big four for a work-life balance i was like yeah and that there is right there as you can see where the bar is for yeah. military personnel and work life balance. But no, I work from home the majority of the time. I pop into town from, you know, every couple of weeks. Um, but um, I go down on a nice comfy train. I stay in a nice comfy hotel and I go to a nice air conditioned office. Yeah. Honestly, any office that doesn't move, um, I'm happy with. <laughs> yeah, well, on that, when was the last time you were on a on a large ship or a boat? Uh, good grief. Well, it must have been uh, just before I left the mob in 2019, 2018, something like okay, that. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, I don't miss it. <laughs> so the no, only... no, no family cruises planned or anything like that. <laughs> not yet. Not okay. not until I'm into my dotage, and then it will have a nice bar. Uh, no, the yeah. only thing I miss about the military are the mess dinners. Uh, yeah. Uh, but no, I, I did 20 years. I did my time. And yeah. now uh, I'm thoroughly enjoying time where I can take my lad to play rugby. I can uh, take take my uh, little girl to get and play hockey. And then we can uh, we can all go for a pub lunch afterwards. So, no, I'm having a marvellous time. Oh, that's uh, yeah, perfect. That's so good to hear. Um, yeah, but like I was saying before, I've, I've now gone sort of yeah down to the consulting stream and um you know, it's my first sort of nine to five Monday to Friday job I've ever had. And so like, you know, just knowing that I'll be home for dinner, I'll be weekends are free. It's just, it's, it's absolutely incredible. Um, so what, what's, uh, what's in store for the future? KPMG's uh, obviously got you for now. Uh, you, is that the place that you're going to see yourself? Um, it is for the moment. Um, yeah. I'm having a marvelous time. So uh, I've got no plans further than this at the moment. Progression in KPMG, hopefully, you know, yeah. I'd like to be a director, be a partner. Yeah. Um, but at the moment, no, I'm thoroughly enjoying my time, just um, tailoring my craft to make sure that I get I get um, properly good at this, and then then progression. Um, and I'd I'd recommend it to anybody. It's a, it's a great life. 
Yeah, and, and also on that with the with certainly like the big four with consulting, like it, it's nice as well because um, it's it's one it's that sort of model where it's one uh, company, one job, but there's so many different things you can do within consulting. Um, uh, oh, so it, it really appeals to a lot of people because there's 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 a lot of room for movement, um, and, and certainly with the veteran community, with the with the police veteran community. Um, it's great because you know there's a lot of diversity there um, for for your job scope. Um, yeah, c- couldn't recommend it enough. Um, so yeah, let's to wrap it up. Where can um, sort of people get in touch with you if they want to get in touch with you? Um, uh, are you happy to sort of take uh, messages on 100%, LinkedIn? I am literally the only Will Hair sign on LinkedIn. So um, yeah, uh, yeah, find me on LinkedIn. Um, I, I look very smart. Um, and uh, <laughs> I, yeah, DM me, uh, connect with me. Um, I'll be happy to chat to anybody who uh, who thinks that I might be able to help even a little bit. Awesome. And uh, for anyone listening, obviously, uh, I did that. Will replied right away, pretty much. So uh, you know, may, you might not get the same reply rate as me, obviously. But uh, you know, like bear bear with him; he'll get back to you. Um, will, thank you so much uh, for coming on and um, for sharing your experiences. Um, and I think uh, a lot of people who are in that sort of transitional space. Um, or even those that might have transitioned and it might not have necessarily worked out immediately. Uh, hopefully they'll listen to this and and uh, find uh, some, some good action plans. Absolute pleasure, Ilya.